Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Hello, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and I'm very pleased today to have with me Richard Strozzi Heckler. Richard is co-founder and president of Strozzi Institute, and he's authored several books, including In Search of the Warrior Spirit and his newest book, which will be released later this year, called The Leadership Dojo. Welcome, Richard, to the program. Thank you, Cheryl. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, so you are, where are you today? You're in Sonoma? I'm up in Sonoma County, right, oh, at uh, my ranch in Petaluma. And your ranch. You know, one of two ranches, right? That's right. And are you at the Institute? Yeah, one of the um, uh, ranches houses Strozzi Institute. That's where I am right now. Oh, great. Well, I hope to have you have the opportunity to share a bit about what happens at Strozzi Institute and how that's related to the title of your next book, The Leadership Dojo. Um, a couple of things. Let's see. You know, we titled this show A Warrior Leads from the Heart. And I know that... You very much are a warrior in the world, and your work has taken you around the world. Um, you cross borders, you cross boundaries, you go into actual war zones. And then, of course, there's a different type of war zone called boardrooms. Um, you work with corporations and multinational organizations and government leaders. And I have been fascinated to learn how far your reach is throughout the world. I'd like you to start a little bit by sharing with us how you got to where you are today. I know that's a really long story, but if you could just give us just a taste of, you know, how did you get to be the person who looks at people in the world through their bodies? Well, let me start by saying that the this thing happened about 50 years ago where I joined a judo dojo because I was a part of a Navy family that traveled around a lot, and I would, <clears throat> as a new kid, get a lot of taunts and catcalls and pushes, and I would push mm-hmm. back and get into fights, mm-hmm. and the vice president said, put him in judo, give him discipline. kind of horrified my mom. They thought that I was going to be a <laughs> fighter, but in fact, I fell in love with it. Oh, and um, I, I didn't fall in love with it, like I'll be a better fighter or anything like that, but I, from an adult perspective, looking back, you know, Cheryl, I thought, this is very poetic. There's something beautiful about this. And, um, so essentially, I've been doing the martial arts for the last um, 49, 50 years. Wow, that's a long time. I, yeah, it is. I'm married to an art called Aikido. Uh-huh. But I have ranks in judo and jiu-jitsu and Filipino arts and capoeira Brazilian arts. And, um, the other two legs, I would say, would be that are relevant here is um, in 1973, I got my Ph.D. in clinical psychology, and I wrote my dissertation on the relationship between the mind and the body. And where really what I was interested in was how do people excel? Mm-hmm. And those that excel into some level of mastery, how do they form into high-performing teams? Mm-hmm. And then I think the third leg would be in the late um, 60s, I began a meditation practice. Um, I actually was introduced to it through the martial arts that became a formal practice in the late 60s. So the, these three things really inform very much about my, my approach of, how people perform, how we learn, how we can coordinate together. Hmm. And so you've taken those the three legs, as you call them, and put them together, and you have now what is called um, this 
practice of somatics that you teach at the Strophe Institute. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, somatics is a, um, <clears throat> it comes from the Greek, and ancient Greek, and it, and it generally translates the living body in its wholeness. And it's a branch of psychology and, and philosophy. And it, what it means is that, um, that uh, it's the notion, how we would conventionally call it today, that there is not a, a mind here and a body here and a spirit, but they're actually all connected. And they're connected in the human biological organism. And um, by, by embodying ourselves, by living inside of our own experience, it's a possibility of becoming self-generating and self-educating and self-healing. And that really is the basis for a lot of my work and teaching and the different domains that I do that in. Why is that important to you, Richard? Why is the whole concept of being self-generating and self-healing important to you? Well, um, I think that essentially we, we've, we've, we're in a historical moment here in which we've adopted <clears throat> a lot, inherited a lot of ways about how we should think we should see the world or how we should interpret the world. Um, that has resulted in a kind of a, a stiffness or rigidity, reification in, in um, uh, citizenry in, in ways in which we start to see that uh, there's, a, there's a kind of very upsurge in fundamentalism and, and all this uncertainty, how do we make things black and white? Yeah. And we lose a tremendous amount because of that. Um, just relying heavily on our logic and rational thought, which I'm not arguing against, but I just think that the tables are imbalanced there. And so um, the notion of coming into this notion of self-generating, self-educating, self-healing has very much to do with how we pay attention to the three billion-year-old wisdom of our genetic self or genetic bodies. And it's really bringing things that are out of balance back into balance and bringing more power to each individual. Well, I was really um, touched by the paper you wrote, Living in the Unspeakable, following September 11th. Mm -hmm. And you wrote in there um, that war is but an expression of our everyday lives. You said you quoted Krishnamurti as war is but an expression of our everyday lives. We are the battle lines. And what I saw as I was reading this was you putting out a call to action, essentially, and almost pleading with our society to look at this differently and to not have the typical um, fear-based response of going back and simply attacking, but to look at this differently. If you were to um, use this philosophy with our military, our current military, is there anything you could say to them that would, you know, how would, how would they have done something differently besides go and attack, well, we could have a conversation about the wrong country, but, <laughs> but go, just have some sort of retaliation. What would you say to them? Well, I think begin with, I think it's really important for us always to remember that in a democratic society that the, the military is not acting um, on their own here, mm -hmm. right. that they re really are acting um, uh, on the advice and counsel and, and command of a civilian government. Right. So um, the military isn't just going to say, let's go to war and let's do these things, and they, right. they don't have the power to do that. 
Um, I'll also say that um, I was in on a number of conversations in the Pentagon and the DOD, Department of Defense, where um, a number of people argued in the military argued very much against this notion Mm -hmm. of going um, to war and argued that we can definitely win this war, but what are we going to do afterwards? Yes. And so that they they had tremendous foresight in, in that piece. So I'd say that in one response to what you're saying. The other, re- the other thing I'd like to say here is that um, this notion of, of uh, violence is that, as you said, that, that quote from Krishnamurti that, where I thought he said very profoundly that it's war is a, a daily ex- is an expression of our daily life. Yes. Is that I, I, w- I would argue that the uh, one of the genesis, one of the genesis of violence, is our inability to feel our own sensations, to actually mm-hmm. feel ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that what I've seen over and over again, and now neurological research is beginning to ground this, is that when we um, don't have the capacity to feel the sensations, the movements, the emotions, the streamings, the moods of our bodies, that we try to um, get away from them or we try to move them outside of ourselves. And often that, that is the projection onto other people. Um, so, for example, what we know now is about 44%, almost 44% of women, married women in America, have some, some experience with domestic violence. 44%? Yeah, huge. huge. Wow. I mean, that's, that's that is huge. almost uh, five out of every ten women. Amazing. And some of it's recurrent going over and over and over again. And you can see within this, this, this type of a person who would perpetrate that way is right. that, for example, there's some stories that the, the, the man sees his wife talking to another man. Yes. So he gets very upset about this and unable to contain that kind of upset in himself, which is a very bodily feeling, mm-hmm. is that he, um, even though intellectually he goes, nothing's going on, but if he can't, Manage that in some way; it'll be expressed out. It can be expressed out as violence. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, as you know, I, I helped develop the Marine Corps Martial Art Program back yes. in 2000. Yes. And um, this has become institutionalized in the Marine Corps because of the um, really the hard work of General Jones at that time, who was the commandant, very progressive, forward-looking man, and a great Marine. And what he saw is that more and more young kids were coming into the Marines, and they didn't have the background that usually comes out of the dinner table with a mother and father present about ethical and moral ways to um, be in the world. And so we developed this program called the Marine Corps Martial Art Program, which is a non-lethal way of neutralizing aggression. But the real profundity of it is, is that it allows, inside of this, it becomes a delivery system to teach these young kids, these young Marines, um, qualities of leadership, account- accountability, responsibility, um, courage, uh, those particular kinds of virtues. And um, what we begin to see by that, training through the body, is that d- domestic violence has gone down, drug abuse has gone down, alcohol abuse has gone down, and uh, fighting on the base and off the base has gone down. That's fascinating. And so you, you really attribute that to their ability to um, acknowledge what's happening with their body. I, 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 in part, 
what we were asked them to do is pay attention to their body, not just like a machine or a, mm-hmm. being a performing athlete, like the motor system, but what are the what are the, the feelings, the emotions, the moods that come up, and how can we work with those in a way that um, become we become life affirming and self generative. Mm-hmm. Now, if you say that to somebody or a young man or woman, it, it won't make much sense. But if you really say, what I'm going to do is teach you a martial art, that's very practical and very attractive. And to, to be well in the, to do well in the martial arts, you have to do all those things. Mm-hmm. So I think that in the, in the final say-so, it really is the, we're looking at the pragmatization of feeling. How does actually the notion of feeling ourselves at a deep, deep level produce new actions in the world? Back to that question right after this break. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. The challenge of change comes as ramped up due to the advent of information age and the interconnectedness of global community. In a high-tech world, the ability to embrace change, adapt, and respond accordingly is key to personal and professional success. Talking Change with Ann Powers, airing every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, explores the hows, whys, and what to do's when faced with change. Embrace the new reality. Adopt transition into your personal power portfolio and tune into Talking Change with Ann Powers every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on the Bottom Line Business Talk, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back. We're speaking with Richard Strovey Heckler, the author of In Search of Warrior Spirit and The Leadership Dojo. 
Richard, could you explain what a leadership dojo is? The I appropriate the word dojo, Cheryl, from the from the Japanese, which means a uh, place of training. And um, that word is is interesting to go into because that it actually comes from the old Sanskrit word bodhimanda, which means place of awakening. Mm. Which I found rather uh, wonderful and revealing that as long as people have expressed what's important to them, among one of the things is that it's important to get a place where people gather together to do practices so they can wake up. So a leadership dojo really is a place in which people can practice um, the virtues and the skills of leadership. And when I say practice, that's a key word because it's different than I'm going to watch a DVD or I'm going to watch a PowerPoint yeah. or I'm going to listen to a lecture, but I'm going to go, what are, the, what are we wanting to develop here? And then how do we practice it so then it becomes embodied? Mm-hmm. Very much the way you would see like in a, in a martial arts class. We don't teach martial arts, but we do appropriate a lot of the movements, a lot of the distinctions from the martial arts. Mm-hmm. And so this speaks to the program you developed for the Marine Corps in helping those soldiers to feel their body and to practice the skills of leadership in a space that was safe where they could do it in a different way than they'd been trained in boot camp. Correct, correct. I wouldn't say different than boot camp, but it is actually an elevated stage from that. Mm-hmm. And um, now we, we were very clearly teaching martial arts to them, like if they needed crowd control or prisoner restraint or things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And when we work with um, executives or emerging leaders or people doing social change and just social justice work, we'll often use a lot of the same movements but not necessarily... Um, have to the foreground the notion that it's a martial practice. Mm. But, it's, but, it's, but it's a way to embody things like, in the midst of conflict and chaos, how do I bring myself back to center? Mm. How do I manage the mood of other people? Um, how am I able to extend myself into a room, extend my presence into the room, so that um, uh, people can will pay attention to me in a more effective way? How can I quiet the chatter or the ongoing talk in my own head so that I can be a better listener to others. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, about 30 years ago, um, it was actually 1973, I believe, a professor at UCLA named Albert Mehrabian wrote a book called Silent Messages. And he basically asked this question, what makes somebody credible or what makes somebody trustworthy? And he did this um, research that the statistics have confirmed over and over again, and even in the last 30 years with all kinds of different demographics, hmm. which is people listen, listen 93%. If I trust somebody, the major amount of information I'm going to base that on is the person's presence or comportment or, or how, how they are in the world. And 7% is basically um, content, hmm. the actual things that they're saying. That's quite extraordinary, really. That is. That's huge. Yeah. Makes me wonder why we have conversations. <laughs> yes. Right. And it also shows us that um, there's whole areas that we could pay attention to to build trust mm-hmm. that doesn't exist now. So, exist. you know, I'm doing more and more work with the um, special forces around counterinsurgency, especially the civil affairs part where they're, they're going into villages, they're talking with people, they're building relationships. As, long, as well as building wells and sanitation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And we can talk to them in, in new ways now about how are you showing up 
um, in mind, body, speech, and action so that these people will go, I'll take the next step with you because you're building trust with me. Right. And, and that must be a challenge when you think about um, how can a soldier be good at his or her job. Um, you know, they're supposed to pull the trigger. They're supposed to go help. They're supposed to build. They're supposed to pick up babies. And, and how can they be all of that and be trusted at the same time? That's a great question, and I, and I think that it's, something that the military and our government is um, uh, needing to respond to now and also looking about how to respond to it. So it's, it's asking a lot of a young 21, 22-year-old corporal to do these kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to turn to a program you have developed called Training Across Borders mm-hmm. and um, that you have taken into different areas of the world. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, thank you for asking that one. This is something I feel really quite good about. In 2005, um, this project called the Mideast Aikido Project um, and Training Across Borders is that we brought together 100 people from the Mediterranean Basin, people whose countries have been at war with each other for generations and generations, Israelis, Palestinians, um, Bosnian Serbs, um, uh, Iraqis, Americans, um, Northern and Southern Cypriots, Turks, and Greeks, and we trained Aikido together for uh, four straight days. And in between, we would have conversations about what it means to use this martial art and use these conversations to have a second-track level of diplomacy. And people came in with um, very explicitly saying, "You, I grew up would look across a room and say to a Israeli, you're my enemy, or a, or a, or a Bosnian and say, you killed my grandfather, and I, I grew up learning to hate you, who you are. And um, by the end of the four days, people were saying, this has actually given me hope that there's another way that we can do things. And essentially what we did is that we did these bodily practices inside the form of Aikido. And Aikido is about... How do you neutralize aggression without somebody getting hurt and both people can um, benefit from it? And at the same time, offering different classes in how people have used Aikido for education, healing, working with children, leadership, etc. And that happened in Cyprus, uh, which is the only divided city in Europe, in the spring of 2005. And since then, we've opened up four dojos, uh, five dojos now in the West Bank where uh, Palestinians and Israelis are training together. Um, One in uh, Cyprus where northern and southern Cypriots are also now training together. Uh, In Ethiopia um, where there's, again, on the edge of a civil war and a number of people saying we we just need to do something different. And also down in the slum districts, down in uh, the favelas, down in Rio de Janeiro. This is revolutionary. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. I mean, it's um, it's a tremendous amount of work, you know, as the world changes and, um, you know, Israel goes into Lebanon and Hamas takes over from Fatah and mm-hmm. people go to the dojo and what used to take in 20 minutes now takes two hours. And, but people are very, very committed here mm-hmm. into doing this. And what they're starting to see is they're, they're actually looking into going into economic um, work together now, too. 
And so what you're saying is that these individuals who come together, who see each other in a different way, who experience their actual physical presence in a different way, are then changing the way they see the world, the way they show up in the world, and then the way they engage with each other. And then they perhaps have a way of, of seeing opportunity differently. Yes. We, we, we've had countless reports of these people going back um, to their towns, their cities, their villages, and the other people saying, you're different now, mm. and not different in a bad way, but different in a way in which they would say, you're, 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 you're more open, you feel more connected to me, you have much more hope in your life now, uh, you feel more self-generating. And um, so I think, yes, people do a practice together. So the Leadership Dojo really is about um, getting a practice that allows you to embody the virtues, the commitments, um, the character values that, that you most um, uh, strive for. And so that you, when you, once you do that, you are a different observer in the world. You mm-hmm. see the world differently. And the world begins to see you differently. This really speaks to the one person at a time mm-hmm. quality of, of the work you're doing. And we've heard this a lot throughout, you know, many years of our lives. Well, it all begins with one individual, you know, one, one at a time. And yet the problems in the world seem so daunting. One person at a time doesn't feel like you can accomplish much. And yet what I'm hearing you say is that things are happening. I think things are happening. I think that there is a group of people in the world that really do take the high ground. And, um, uh, you know, maybe I'm an over-hard-working optimist. I don't know. I don't necessarily <laughs> feel like that because I, I think that there are seriously hard problems we have in the world. But, you know, you know, uh, I can't really see why we would take... An, I, can't, I can't see taking a different kind of action. I mean, this is the kind of action that I would really like to take. And... Um, and, and that I want to take, and that I do take, and I've, I've come to um, uh, peace in myself that if uh, the fruits of these seeds happen in 600 years, so be it. Mm. Um, in the meantime, um, um, I can see changes. People see changes, and um, we're having fun doing it. That's interesting. So if the changes happen in 600 years, so be it. Um, that is a very egoless type of place to be, a way of showing up in the world? Um, I, I think that I've, I've done this work long enough to know that <clears throat> nothing's going to really change um, overnight, mm. that there will be a, um, uh, it takes people staying the course, staying in the practices, having the difficult conversations, and um, really confronting in themselves personally their own demons and devils, and asking themselves, do, is, this, is this the planet I want to have my children and grandchildren inherit, mm-hmm. or, or is it a different life that I want them to inherit? And so it sounds like you are taking your role as global citizen very seriously. I do. I do. And I, and I have fantastic friends um, uh, around the world. I have a fantastic friend that I violently agree with. Um, and we, um, they're, they're, like I said, I, my sense is that there's a, um, uh, there's a growing high ground of people. And, and I think that in this growing high ground, too, that it's very important that 
we that this group doesn't become fundamentalist either. Mm-hmm. But to stay open to all the different concerns that people have. Take a break. Stay with us. We'll be back with Richard Trovi Heckler. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Do you think work-life balance is some type of circus trick? Have you spent time trying to apply the concepts of feng shui to your virtual office? Are you so busy that your to-do list has a table of contents and you're wondering if technology could help lighten your load? Then you don't want to miss a single broadcast of The Anywhere Office, this live, entertaining, and informative weekly talk show hosted by brothers Phil and Jason Montero. Take a big-picture approach to the philosophies and strategies of navigating today's digital lifestyle. The Anywhere Office covers topics such as work life balance, home offices, virtual teams, virtual offices, mobile work technology, and all aspects of the changing world of work. While targeted at mobile professionals, remote workers, small business owners, entrepreneurs, and solo professionals, Phil and Jason's knowledge, humor, and insight make the Anywhere Office of interest to anyone dealing with living a digital lifestyle. The Anywhere Office with Phil and Jason Montero broadcast each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Anywhere Office, helping you find a more flexible way to work. Growing a business successfully not only requires increased sales, but profitable sales. Over 80% of small businesses will fail to do this in the first five years. On Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business with Tom Long, he will share his years of business experience to maximize profitability and ensure longevity and sustainability. Broadcasting every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business provides insight into key areas of business, coordination of management, finance, operations, time management, people, and marketing, as well as sales. Tune in and learn how to grow your business into that mighty oak every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back. We're speaking with Richard Strophy Heckler today, president and co-founder of Strophy Institute and author of several books. His latest book, The Leadership Dojo, to be released later this year. Richard, can you speak a bit about um, a warrior leading with heart and meaning? I've heard you speak a lot about heart and meaning in an individual. Mm-hmm. And you know, how do you teach that? I know, I know you talk about Aikido and I know you talk about martial art, but how do you really teach heart and meaning? Well, to begin with, you know, uh, Cheryl, I think that there's a... Um, 
really a lot of uh, confusion um, and mischief around this whole notion of warriorship. Mm. You know, it, it came to some kind of um, prominence in the late 80s and then into the mid-90s where everything was a warrior this or a warrior that, or, you know, it'd be warrior rug cleaners. And there was a certain kind of, I think, kind of exoticism and romanticism about it that, that um, was, was really enhanced by Hollywood at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we, if we study this, we can see that there's a long tradition of warriorship in the world that first came out of the military, but then didn't necessarily have to be connected to the military. So one of the things that I, I, I bring out in In Search of the Warrior Spirit is that you can be in the military and not be a warrior. Um, you can also be a very strong fighting man in the military and not be a warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what we're looking at here as warrior is somebody who is has the capacity to really take a stand for and fight for what they care about and what has meaning for them. Um, so there, there certainly is many, many people in the military that are like that, but it's not necessarily about only pulling the trigger. And I also use the distinction about, when I say fighting for what we care about, distinct from fighting against um, something. Hmm. And so I think that a, one thing that a, a warrior has done, he or she has really made it a very serious um, study into what are the values that they want to live by. And that it's not just a matter of repeating these at a, a cognitive or rational level, but how do we train ourselves so that the, the sense of ethic, the sense of sensibility, um, the sense of morality is actually a part of who somebody is. Mm. And then when you might find somebody who wants to trample that or perpetrate against it or um, take advantage of the weak and unavailable, is that that person is able to help protect them and to take care of them. Um, and I also think that there's a powerful question for us to be in that in a very deeply technologically oriented society now, what happens to these warrior values? And, um, you know, we, we can look for recent episodes in um, business, the Enron scandal, different things like that, that where people used to call you can be a war- warrior in the boardroom is that people have... Um, can maybe act brash and bold um, and aggressive, but they're not any longer connected to um, these values that they have. And so both of those have to be there. We're deeply connected to the spiritual sense of ourself, and at the same time, we're able to go out and to affect and, and move in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, people say that they're always willing to lay down their life for their family, um, and but I don't hear much beyond that. Um, I, I don't think... People feel very connected to much beyond their family, and sometimes in our society, not even within their family. How do we apply what you're talking about to family? How do we teach families this? Well, I think that, you know, part of the background of that for me is that, and I, and I don't say this pejoratively, but, and that we are uh, um, a tremendous privileged society. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look around, even though we definitely have our issues, is that we're very, very, have a lot, tremendous amount of abundance around. Mm-hmm. Tremendous amount of abundance. And I think that in some way is that if we think that we can get by with our credit cards or paying things off, et cetera, et cetera, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't necessarily require us to look at those things of what, what am I, 
staking my life on here? Mm-hmm. What are the what are these values that are important? Mm-hmm. And um, the the notion of of training these things, where I would say that uh, when one gets into a position of responsibility or leadership, so that's just part of who they are, has to do with the kind of practices they're taking on to make that happen. Who who, who are they having conversations with that keep these things alive in them? Um, How are they mentoring and guiding and coaching other people and also at the same time have a mentor or a guide or a coach for themselves? And I think that all those things, the, the practices, um, the community of people together, um, having a sense of obligation to pass things on and also being open to, to learning is really the glue in which we can really, as I would say, embody our values, embody our principles, as opposed to having a real keen, greatly framed mission statement on the wall. But we, we are that mission statement. How do you get CEOs of multinational corporations or leaders in government to really understand this? Well, there's a couple things. One is that we're really in in a in an area here where when people say, "What is the what is the taste of chocolate?" <laughs> and you know, ultimately, you're going to have to taste it and say, "That's the taste of chocolate." <laughs> How do you get somebody to do that? People will get intrigued by the mm-hmm. books, the different books that I've, I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they'll be intrigued by the different successes we've had in um, working with Yale or George Mason University um, <clears throat> at Harvard, etc., with the Marine Corps Special Operations and with other big companies. So they'll get intrigued by that. And then there's always this moment when we'll say, "Well, what we need, to, what you need to do is that you need to actually put your body into these practices." These are conversational practices. These are physical physical practices. And there are simulations of, of moral practices. Um, there was a, uh, we do quite a bit of work for Pfizer. And um, when we were brought into the research and development program, the woman who did that, um, she was an equestrian hmm. and, a, and, and really a world-class equestrian and had been her whole life. And so when I was talking about this notion of learning through the body mm-hmm. as opposed to just running through head, it naturally made sense to her hmm. because that's exactly what you need to do when you're, when you're riding a horse hmm. or being with a horse. Right, right. Very much the way um, Ariana Strozzi, your wife, works with her work, Leadership with Horses. And um, it's fascinating how presence is not just a human Capacity is very much in the animal kingdom too. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about working with other animals too, when you bring them in, is that they, they what they're looking for, they they, they pay attention to the presence that you are. Mm. Are are you present with them? Mm. Are you managing what's too much and what's not not enough, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Can you talk a little bit about that concept about too much and not enough? Well, one of the, one of the things we talk about here is that. Appropriating some moves from Aikido, for example, where you may grab somebody's wrist or you grab their shoulder or mm-hmm. you try to grab their throat or something, is that we say that what the way that you learn how to touch somebody, and we do this in a very safe atmosphere, very non-sexual atmosphere, mm-hmm. um, the way that you learn how to touch somebody 
will be translated through your nervous system where you can go, if I grab too strong, I'm going to bowl them over. If I don't grab strong enough, they'll have an assessment that I'm not committed or I'm, I'm too weak. Mm-hmm. And that um, our claim is that that happens through your learning through the body. Mm. So you can see it. Somebody would say you're going to grab somebody's wrist, grab their wrist, and they have no sensitivity at all about who's there or how they touch them, that it's just way too rough, it's way too, way too awkward, and it doesn't take into account what that person can handle in that moment. And my claim here is that these, the way that they do that will be the same way they show up in a conversational space. So in the office, you don't grab somebody. We tell them you don't grab somebody. Mm-hmm. But we say the same way you do it here will be the same way that you'll do it when you're in a conversational in the boardroom, for example. Interesting. So they get both to see how historically they act that way. They get mm-hmm. feedback from their team, and then they can do practices so they're more aware, and then they can act differently. Mm-hmm. And basically what we hold there is uh, um, choice follows awareness. Mm-hmm. The more choice we have, the more power we'll, we'll have. And the more aware we are, the more choice that we'll have. Choices are important. We'll continue our conversation with More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Roe Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern on Business America Radio. Three Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a values-based approach to comprehensive total wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road of financial independence. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Roe Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, businessamericaradio.com. 
Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with the product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the bottom line for business talk, Voice America Business. Business information you need from the stock market to starting and managing your business. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back with leading conversations with Richard Strovey Heckler today. Richard, um, as we move toward the close of our hour together, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about a little bit more about Aikido. We had an email from a listener, Bill Smith from Florida, and he writes, "I'm a longtime martial arts practitioner. One of the things that fascinates me is the roots and origins of different styles." Aikido was founded by Osensei Morehe Ueshiba, I'm sure you know that. In his time, he was considered a maverick innovator. Aikido exists in the world today because of the strength of his vision. What part of his vision do you share, if any, and how are you carrying that forward? Thanks, Bill. Mm, Great question, Bill. Um, One of the things, Morehe Ueshiba was a national living treasure uh, of Japan and was re- renowned as a martial artist, um, actually beginning in, in pre-World War II Japan and then post-World War II. And then, um, so uh, he had a, a tremendous amount of students. He was basically un- unbeatable, and he'd, he'd studied with one of the last formidable samurai. But after World War II and after the atomic bomb was dropped, and during that time he had he'd already fought, fought Manchuria, but he was an older man at that point, mm-hmm. that he went into retreat, and he came out and he declared that uh, martial arts, or budo, which means the, the, the way of war, way of fighting, was really about bringing people together. It wasn't about separating people or annihilating or destroying people. It was really about bringing people together. And really at that time, he started calling his, his martial art Aikido, which means being in harmony with the universal energy. So that it, 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 what, it, what it begins to say is that it's a, um, a spiritual practice. Now, what was interesting about him is that when he said that, he said it's about a way of bringing people together, and it's a, um, it has a definite element of spirit in it. There would be people from all over Japan would say it would come to him, really tough guys, well-trained guys, and they'd say, terrific idea. Now, but what are you going to have, have to do when I try to take you down and choke you out or when I start punching you? And what he was able to do is he was able to neutralize all these people, all of them. And a lot of it's on tape where wow. here's a guy who's like five foot two. And he'd have even big American soldiers. He'd invite them to attack him who were six foot two. And he was able to, to basically neutralize all of them. Hmm. And when he did this, um, uh, many of them stayed. 
that there's something here that isn't before, and I want to train to do this. So what I really share with him to answer Bill's question is the notion that um, I really believe that the martial arts, Aikido, really has the potential of bringing people who have opposing views, conflictive views, are in some kind of a um, uh, opposing viewpoints, is to bring them together so that you can use the energy of, of the conflict to create something new. Now, I say that I've, I've, I'm in my 35th year of Aikido, and there's a lot of different ways that people do it, and there's a lot of, and, and I, I can respect basically all of those, but I think that the most profound part of it is that you say that how do we all get to a higher level, higher level of consciousness, higher level of looking, but at the same time, it's just not a mental phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It really shows up in how people are acting, how they're more loving, how they're more caring how they're more protective of the people <clears throat> that cannot protect themselves and, um, and and a deeper acceptance for people that are different from them. Um, you know, the program that we talked earlier about the training across borders, uh-huh. the Mideast Aikido Project, you know, I think there's, if there's any ever any doubt about that before, I think that that really, really sealed that. Right, right. Very powerful work. You could say that um, in our country, or even around the world, um, that there really is a crisis of leadership, that uh, many of the visible leaders in the world aren't stepping up. They're not inspiring. They are not um, able to create a vision that people can live into. What do you think has to happen in order for that to change? Let me answer that in a couple ways. Mm-hmm. One is what I don't want to have happen, what I hope does not happen, mm-hmm. is that we have to take ourselves to the edge before we wake up. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, I think that when the atomic bombs were dropped in World War II, yes. people really had to take stock in a different way. I, don't, I think to do that now would just be a, a tremendous detriment to societies, to um, National, I mean, international unity and, and the environment. Yeah. I think really what has to happen is that um, there has to be a shift in consciousness. Yeah, unequivocally that there has to be a shift in consciousness. Is that, uh, and then that shift in consciousness comes about when people take on a new set of practices, hmm. and that those new set of practices then become grounded in our everyday sensibility, our everyday actions, and our every every day in a relationships with other people. And so those practices, um, for some people it's Aikido, for other people it's not. What would be an example of other practices? Well, I mean, I, I think that in some way it's it's you could take actually any activity. So if you think of Aikido even as an activity, and in this activity there's a certain kind of ethic and sensibility. And inside of that, you're asked to pay attention in a particular kind of way that begins to change you. And I think that in some way you could say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a practice of walking an hour every day. Mm. But in that walking, I'm going to align myself to the my, my energy field, to the energy field of the planet. I'm going to make sure that I keep my senses open so when I see the flowers or see other people, I and be moved by and grateful for the great mystery that I move in here, for example. That when my attention 
gets pulled off, thoughts in the past where I might have resentments or hopes for the some kind of future is that I continue to bring myself back. So we could say martial arts. We could say people doing katas, like with uh, um, a, a set form that they do, open-handed or with, with some kind of a weapon, like a wooden sword or a wooden staff. Um, I think things simply like sitting, meditation, is very, very, very powerful mm-hmm. and is getting more and more um, uh, literacy in the world now. Mm-hmm. I think prayer is very, very powerful. I think people coming together and having uh, conversations about what are and using that conversation as a practice to be able to shift consciousness. So I think to say simply, I think that it would be really about how how um, one relates to the practice that they're doing. Because there's a lot of people that do martial arts, and really what they're really interested in is beating somebody else up. Yes. Or they're so paranoid that they're going to go, I'm afraid, so I need to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you need to protect yourself, I accept that. But there's just so much more value in doing it in a different way. Yeah. Just so much more value. Which really speaks to uh, the new leadership that we are all creating in every moment that is emerging here in our world. And the work you're doing, Richard, is invaluable and will definitely leave its mark on this planet. Mm. We're coming to a close. This has been a wonderful hour. I appreciate you being here. Um, if you'd like to know more about Richard Strozzi Heckler and the Strozzi Institute, you can go to the website, strozzyinstitute.com. And Richard, your new book, The Leadership Dojo, when is it being released? The Leadership Dojo will be out in September. In September. Yeah, wonderful. North Atlantic Books. Oh, great. Uh-huh. Okay. We will definitely look at look for that in bookstores. Um Next week, uh, we will have Richard Leiter, and future guests will include Fatima Galiani um, from Afghanistan. And we appreciate your listening today and look forward to hearing your voices and your emails uh, again. And remember, think big. The world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. Thanks a lot, Richard. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com. See you next week.